Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. It's another episode of Securing Bridges. Thanks for being here with us. I'm Melissa Miller, your host, as always. And we've got another amazing guest today, so we are going to dig into this thing. But thank you all for joining. We are at episode 37. I can't believe it. It, it, it seems like only yesterday we got started with this, and these guests every week have been incredible. You all have been incredible. I love having you all here. Thank you for the comments you send us every week. I love getting your questions, your comments. You know, we put them up on, on screen and we're, we're going to address them live wherever we can. So please do share your questions, your comments in the chat, whether you're on YouTube or you're on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, wherever you're watching us. I, we want to hear from you. Get involved. Be a part of the show. We're looking forward to it. So, all right. I'm not going to delay any longer. I've got an amazing guest again this week. Every week is somebody amazing, and this is no exception. So we're digging right in. With me today, I've got Jess Bashon. Jess, how are you? And I told you I was going to screw it up. I knew I was going to screw it up. You had it right. Thank you for having me, by the way. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I, I knew I was going to goof it up. <laughs> It doesn't matter how many times I validate somebody's name and how to say it. I still screw it up. I, 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 I doomed myself. I told you I was going to. Anyway, enough of that. Let's dig into who you are in case people out there don't know you. So share a little bit about yourself. Sure. Jess Fashon. I am the most recent CISO at Context Labs. I've been there for about five months. Uh, but I've been doing information security and compliance now for realistically for most of my career, but concentrating on it for the last five or six years. Uh, okay. I've had experience in just about every industry. So finance, education, manufacturing, healthcare, uh, and now software. I've, I guess I've been around for a little bit of time. Yeah, I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> but yeah, you've got a really impressive background. You've been through like a lot of different organizations. Uh, or I shouldn't say a lot of different organizations. That sounds wrong. You've you've had experience in a lot of different industries and, and organizations too, but I don't want to make it sound like you're bouncing. No, you've, it's just a really impressive background. So you're a CISO now. How did you get there? Failed upwards. Uh, no. <laughs> Somebody it's uh it's been a long trail you know i i started out uh in the military learning communications and electronics 
when I exited the, the military, I started doing network security engineering. Uh, I worked for Cisco for a while and then for Chase Bank. Um, we won't hold that against you. It's right. <laughs> and, and then decided, you know, I wanted to go into management. Um, so started working, running IT organizations in healthcare. Took a break from that, did some security consulting, um, back into healthcare. And then around that second venture into healthcare, that's when the Affordable Care Act was passed. And really, we had some teeth to go along with um, the needs of security in the organizations. So I was finding that I was spending greater than 50% of my time doing security and decided that's what I want to concentrate in. So it's been a long, steady progression, uh, working my way up, filling all the different roles along the way. Um, and I just decided, you know, I, I can make a difference in security. I, I really want to be in a leadership role for it and just uh, set that mark high and kept going for it. And, and I've, my last two roles now have been CISO roles, and, and I love it. Cool. So I want to dig into that a little bit more, um, if that's all right, because, you know, there's, there's a few things you said that were kind of interesting. Like, you, you, first of all, you, you said you set that target and you, you shot for it. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, what even, what is it about leadership that you enjoy? Because I think a lot of people sometimes de facto, it's just like, well, there's like a certain expectation. You're just going to climb the corporate ladder. And at some point you're going to move out of individual contributor roles into management. And then you have to just keep moving up. And I, I'm trying to help people understand that. No, there's, there's like a specific skill set to leadership that you have to enjoy doing in order to do the job. And so first of all, feel free to call me on that and tell me I'm completely wrong. But second, I do want to know what it is that, you know, what drew you to, to set that as a goal for yourself. Sure. Yeah, you're not wrong. Definitely not wrong. Um, I think very early in my life, uh, before I went to college, before I was out working as a professional, I was giving a lot of opportunities uh, as, as a teenager to fill roles that most adults would be filling. And um, I was able to do those well. And I enjoyed that responsibility. I enjoyed sitting at the table and answering the questions. Um, and so once I moved out of the service uh, and into the workforce, it was kind of a weird position for me to just be an con individual contributor, but not having a voice in the matter. Um, and, and I just, I, I had an understanding of myself that, that I could do more. And I was willing to do more and I was willing to step into the fold uh, when others weren't, weren't able to or weren't willing to. I, I, I can't stand that void in the room if no one stands up and volunteers. Um, I, I have to do it. It's just part of the core of who I am. And the more I did it, the more I, I found I enjoyed it. Uh, really like the aspect of creating opportunity for others. Um, whether that's a new position or helping them move up in their positions, up in their skill sets, or on to someplace else. I, I love doing that part of it. I love communicating to the team what the mission is and helping them understand why we're doing something. Because I know when I was young in my career, I didn't always understand the full picture. And I was frustrated with that. And I think a lot of people can be frustrated with that if they don't know why they're doing something. So I like being able to, to coach and, and lead and, and help people understand, yeah, this is why we're doing 
project A and project B, but we're not doing project C, which you think has more importance. It's because we have to balance that with the business. Um, so I just, I find myself, you know, very happy in that, in that element. That's awesome. And those are some of the things I, I always like to highlight for people when we start talking about, you know, getting into management, because for some people, that's just not something, you know, understanding that, yeah, your day is going to be filled with those types of things, right? It's, it's going to be a lot of business discussion. It's going to be a lot of working with other people on how to coach them up and help them in their careers, things like that. Things that don't put you immersed in technology and learning, you know, new techniques and things that that kind of falls by the wayside, at least in my experience, um, you know, as, as you move into these these higher level leadership roles and particularly, of course, at the executive level. And, you know, in addition to not getting a lot of sleep and, you know, some other things. But uh, so I'm, I'm curious, too. So you. You've been in CISO positions now. You mentioned the last two. So it's been about a year and a half-ish or so? Yes. What surprised you the most stepping into that first CISO role? Like what, what was there something that caught you off guard that like you, you didn't really expect or was different at least than what you thought it was going to be? Um, well, you know, when you move from an engineer type role into management, you, the first thing that you realize is I can't do all the technical stuff I used to do. You have to take your hands off of it. You have to trust others to do that. Um, and so that kind of that middle management role, you can somewhat still be attuned to it. Um, and you're starting to learn really how to be a better business manager. But when you get to the CISO role, it's really about communication. It's about commitments. It's about delivering for the needs of the business. Uh, and focusing on that all the time. You have to be involved with every other aspect of the business if you want to understand how to bring value to the business. Um, it, it is, it's a CISO role, so it implies that it's, it's technical to some aspect. Um, but in reality, it's, it's really a, a management role. It's managing um, elements of the business uh, that aren't necessarily concentrating on the importance of this element of security or this element of compliance. It's how do I blend all of that with the rest of the business? It's like you're tailor-made for this show, right? I mean, because this is exactly, we've talked about this a number of times with a number of guests here, that, that idea of a CISO really doesn't have to be a technical person. Now, the technical capabilities help, but I think having the technical background is still solid, right? Don't get me wrong. I think it, it does pay off for me because, I, first of all, I can just understand what the hell it is that all my people are talking about, yeah. you know, uh, which is important. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, I, 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 I the, the CISOs who I've seen struggle, because I, like you, was in consulting. And, you know, the CISOs that I saw struggle in their roles or I watched flounder in their board meetings were the ones who didn't understand that it wasn't about the tech, right? No one in that room actually cares or even knows what it means when you say, yeah, we have 250,000 open high severity vulnerabilities. <laughs> okay. That's a big number. Well, you know, 
So I, I'm kind of curious. I, how did you find your way to that? Was that just something that came natural to you or was that something that really, did, did you take your lumps and have to kind of learn that along the way too? Um, I think so in, in terms of, of being able to, to add context to the business. I think earlier in my career, I struggled with that. I did that thing where I put the numbers out there and there was a lot of numbers and I could see that the eyes glaze over and I realized, oh, this is not the way. <laughs> this is not how I get my message across and this is not how I bring value. Um, and I talked with a lot of the different lines of the business and said, what is it that you need me to do for you? Um, you know, for marketing, it could be, hey, Let's look at SOC 2, because that's something that we can bring to our customers and say, we're taking this area seriously. We have certain controls in place, and, and we want you to know that your data is safe with us. Um, so when that clicked in my head, how I bring value instead of expense to the business, that's when it really started to roll for me. And I realized that's that's what my, my duty is to the business and duty is to the rest of uh, uh, our customer base as well. So, yeah, no, that, and that makes sense. Right. And it's, and this is another thing I hope people are capturing from this. So, okay. We've got CISO talking to CISO here today. Right. And that's actually two weeks in or well, two episodes in a row now that that's happened. But, you know, I, I think what is interesting is how different people get to that conclusion, but that same conclusion comes up. You know, at least for, I think, CISOs who are going to be successful. I hope I'm going to be successful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm watching others and I'm learning from others. You know, for me, it was, like I said, I, I watched other CISOs take their lumps. I obviously, as most people know, and if you're watching this show, it's probably obvious, I do a lot of public speaking. And you learn how to assess your audience, right? Now, I'm not like a classically trained professional speaker or anything, there are people who've done that too, right? Toastmasters and whatever. And I know for a fact that, you know, anytime you, you talk, you know, about public speaking, the first thing they tell you is know your audience. Absolutely. And it, it's like the cardinal sin to me of a CISO to not understand who those people are in the room and what their motivations are when you're sitting in an executive committee meeting or you're sitting in an audit committee meeting or you're sitting there presenting to the board, like the, they have a specific need and you, you touch or you didn't touch on, you focused on it. It's what are you doing to make our business better? And you've got to be able to speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's building that relationship far in advance too, and not just in the sense of business. It's getting to know each individual, what makes them tick, uh, what their interests are. You you have to really enjoy the people that you're working with and you have to enjoy helping them be successful. So coming into a CISO role, now this was something I found, at least for me, was a little interesting. So, I mean, I've been in leadership roles for 17 years before I got this, 16 years before I got my first CISO job. And, you know, so I understood. And one of the things I know a lot of managers struggle with, I've got people on my team who I'm trying to help coach through this is the, the art of delegation, right? Understanding that you don't have to do it. You have really smart people that you work with who are there for that purpose. But did you find 
as I did, like a whole new layer of that as you step into like a CISO role. I just, I felt like as I started to build out like, okay, I own this strategy now, right? Like this is all me. And it might be my previous, my role previous to this where I was the only one. And so I had to take on more of it, but it, it's been weird as I realized like I set the strategy, but I've got an operations team who I hand that to and say, here's your challenge. I've got an engineering and architecture team. Here's your, you know, this is what I need from you and to make our vision come true. And and did you find that that was kind of like a, a, even having been, I think you were a director before. So, I mean, you were a manager of managers, but did you still find that that was kind of a shift stepping into the CISO role? Um, For me, not really, because I've spent a lot of time in my career trying to develop the next set of leaders. So I try and hire smartly, hire people who are smarter than me, um, establish that trust with them early on. Uh, I give allowance for mistakes ahead of time. So I let them know you're going to fail. It's going to be okay. We can work on that and we can work with that. Um, and then it's it's coaching and meeting with people on a regular basis and keeping communication open and letting them know they can ask you questions if they're unsure of something so that there are no surprises coming to you. Yes, ultimately, I'm responsible for whatever gets produced from our section and, and provided to the business. Um, but that's really the measure on me, right? If I'm doing that r- correctly and if I'm doing it well, I don't need to have a fear that that if I let go too much on those that are working with me, that something's going to go wrong. I, it's taken me a while to get there, but I, I think I hit it early enough in my career that when I transitioned into the CISO role, for me, that that wasn't an issue. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, like I said, it was it was kind of weird. And I think maybe some of it was that, that BISO role I was in previously where I was the only security person in that division. Now, yeah, we had a cybersecurity team and a CISO that ran their stuff. But so that was, I know that for me was something that was, I, again, I mean, I had led teams many times. I, I understood the art of delegation, but there just, there seemed to be initially, like there was this, this whole new level for me to realize like, wow, I, I, I can really just focus on strategy. That's really my job. That That's what I do. And I don't have to be as intimate with a lot of these things where I'm, I'm so used to not, not, not like being down in the, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the tech, but still like more involved than even now. It's just, Hey, tell me what's going on, you know? So, well, cool. So, you know, as it, as you look at kind of your career, obviously there, there's other people out there who want to get where you're at, where, you know, they're in an executive role. What, what, where would you start with talking to someone who say maybe very early in their career and they're already saying, seeing that that's like their ultimate goal for themselves. What, where do you start in trying to coach someone like that? Yeah. It's, it's having a lot of conversations with those people. I coach probably five or six different people uh, who are young in their careers. Um, we talk a lot about experimenting in different areas of information security and compliance because you may find that you like the more technical aspects. 
uh, or you may find that you like the governance risk and compliance aspects more. Um, so it's, it's early in your career getting a sense of those. And even if you don't stay doing it, um, having that exposure because you're adding to your toolkit. And that's what you want to start doing earlier in your career is building that toolkit that you can fall back on later to make good judgments and good decisions from. Um, some folks will ask me, should I go get a master's degree in cybersecurity? And I'll be honest, I tell people, I, if it was me, I would go get a degree in business. Because if you're going to be in management, you need to understand the business and you need to understand how to translate the security aspects, the compliance aspects into that business value. Um, so I'll work with them in, in that area. Now, you can certainly go get that master's in cybersecurity if you want to. And if you do that, again, I'm going to I'm going to coach you. Make sure there's some business courses in there because you really need that that part. That's that's how the other business executives are going to look at you. And that's the value they're looking at from you. Yes, they want you to secure the business. Yes, they want the business to be compliant, but they want you to bring that. I keep coming back to it, that value, that that revenue stream into the organization. You're part of the business. Um, so it's stressing that part. And then going for those stretch goals. You may not have all the qualifications you think you need to move into management, but you might suspect that you're ready. It's okay not to have all the, the requirements that, that you need. You can learn some of those on the job and you will learn some of those on the job. None of us get to be a CISO and we know everything we're supposed to be doing on day one. What do you mean? Um, I know everything. I know it all. I'm the smartest person in the room. Yeah, we're not. No, no, no. <laughs> just kidding. For those of you hearing just the audio of this, I'm joking. You can't see me waving off, but it was a joke. <laughs> Yeah, we, we and that's probably another good point is don't ever think you're the smartest person in the room. Keep learning. Keep a beginner's mind. You know, keep taking courses on the side. Um, keep keep asking people how they do something. Uh, for me, you know, I look across the, the, the industry at my peers and I see what are they doing? What are their concerns? What are they going to learn? What what conferences are they attending? Because I need to know more all the time, too, to keep continue to bring that value. But if you put in the time, if you're willing to do the work, if you have a genuine interest in what you're doing, uh, which you have to, to be successful in information security and compliance, um, the opportunities will come to you. When you're seen as being competent um, and, and energetic in the role that you're in, people will recognize that and good leaders will they'll pluck you out and, and pick you up and help you get on your way. Yeah. And honestly, unfortunately, I think we've probably all seen those leaders, and I'll actually put air quotes on that. Again, for those of you listening to the audio, you can't see me doing the air quotes on the on the screen here. But you know, it's we've. I, I can't imagine anybody who hasn't seen that leader who does believe they're the smartest person in the room. And I just I feel like that's a perfect recipe for disaster. Like you, you can't be successful in this job if you believe that you know more than anyone else there and that because you have some title which happens to have a C at the front of it that somehow that qualifies you more than anyone else to espouse opinions and direction and all of that upon others. Yeah, I, you know, that's that that should be a red flag for people. If you if you are working for a leader like that, uh, 
they're not recognizing you, you have no voice. Um, their answer is the only answer. Move on, really. Life is too short for you to stay there and it's gonna stunt your career and it's gonna make you feel physically and mentally not well. Um, so there's no reason to stay in, in that, that type of environment. And I think we're seeing that in the last five years or so where people, if they're unhappy in their role, they're just not going to stay there and they're not going to keep doing that. Um, they know that better is out there and, and they'll pursue it. Um, if you are that type of leader who, you know, your staff isn't talking to you, um, if you are suspicious of them, if you don't have trust for them, turn the mirror on yourself because the problem is probably with you and your, your leadership style. Um, we're only leaders as long as people decide that they want to follow us. And at the point in which they decide that they're not gonna do that anymore, then we don't serve our purpose. Uh, we're gonna lose staff and the business is gonna suffer because of us. Yeah. So I'm gonna go back to something you said before cause it resonated with me. When you're talking about, you know, should I get a master's degree in cybersecurity? And, you know, guilty as charged kind of. So I've got a master's in IT. Uh, because cybersecurity degrees didn't exist when I got my master's. Um, but, you know, one of the things I did early on, actually, in my bachelor's program was switch from computer science to MIS. We called it back then. Remember that? We called it MIS, <laughs> Management Information Systems. So for those of you that don't know, because I don't even know if MIS is a thing anymore. Back then, what that was, was computer science was all the very you know, theoretical, how, you know, there was programming, but it was all, I mean, literally they had you writing an assembler. They made us write an operating system. Like it was that crazy. MIS was the one where instead, yeah, you learned about computers, but they also connected it to business things like accounting. I had an entire accounting course. I, oh, I can't remember the name of the program we use now, but literally was, here's how you do accounting, but here's how you do accounting using software. Right. And I, I think, you know, that speaks volumes to me because we it, it's come up on the show a number of times that, you know, if you want to overcome some of those obstacles to getting into or progressing in cybersecurity, being able to speak the language of other people in the business who don't speak cybersecurity is important. And I can tell you it worked wonders for me early on in my in my leadership career when I could actually talk to accountants and you know finance people about those topics and show that I actually understood what was going on and that I knew what a capital budget was versus an expense budget and why that's different and why each one is important in its own way so what other things do you see then that you know for people who either just trying to start a career or trying to you know advance in a career what are some things that you see that you you really want people to be aware of that are going to help them overcome some of those obstacles right well i and i don't want to imply that you have to have a degree to be successful because i work with hundreds of people uh, and have over my career that have no degree and they're some of the smartest people i've worked with and they've had opportunities where they learned those aspects of the business by doing or by sitting and asking a lot of questions of a lot of people um, that's going to be a hallmark of someone who's going to be a natural leader 
Uh, and there are natural leaders. They just, their interest is so broad uh, that they pick up these skills. But if you're young in your career and you're starting out, you, you don't, you, what you need is opportunities. You need doors open for you. Uh, and that means, you know, maybe a, a cohort training program uh, that doesn't cost you any money. You give up some of your time in the evenings or you um, have assignments given to you that you work on on the weekend. Um, those opportunities are what you need to look for. There are plenty of groups, such as the Secure Diversity Leadership Academy, that will will go out and solicit for people uh, who are interested in the field to join, uh, and they will give you an opportunity to be mentored uh, and receive certifications that you're not having to pay for. So those are opportunities to get into the field as well. But you know what? We have a whole environment of threat actors <laughs> that are just learning on their own and they are very proficient. So you can learn on your own if you choose to. Um, and there's hundreds of, of programs out there now that you can use to set up virtual machines and start learning that way. Or if you really want to do it the hardcore way, go to the NIST, start pulling out some of the documents there, start reading through those documents and seeing if you can understand. <laughs> it's going to give you a lot of headaches. <laughs> it's good nighttime reading. It's good nighttime reading, but it's it's certainly another another path as well. But um, you know, I'm I'm always impressed by the people who reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, "Hey, you know, I'm interested in this field. Could you spend some time talking to me?" Yeah, absolutely. I will do that. And, and don't be afraid to reach out to people. It doesn't matter what their title is. We're just people like you uh, on the other side. And most of us really enjoy helping others. Um, and that's, oh my gosh, I can't even, you know, the, the learning on your own thing. I, I, I always get a little nervous because there are people out there who I think kind of push that as like the way, right? Because that's how they got here. And that's, there is so much you can do on your own. I, I've talked in the, even for the, the, the management and executive side, like I, you know, no, you don't have to go get an MBA, read the 10 day MBA. It's a great book. I love that book. I've talked about it on this show multiple times and, you know, but also don't feel like that is something you have to do to get that first job either. Cause you, you'll get a lot of people, you know, that I've seen in conversations, someone asked, well, how, how do I get started? And they're like, well, you know, build a home lab, do this, do that. Well, why? Well, because that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I hacked Prodigy when I was 12, but I wouldn't suggest that other people go do that, especially not these days. You'll end up in jail. And the, the days of going to jail and then getting a really good cybersecurity job, I think are mostly over. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. And and yeah, and you know, there's no one path. I guess that's that's what we're saying, right? I mean, I kind of did that traditional started playing around at the house with a whole bunch of computers and figuring out how networks work and, you know, for me when I was doing that, this is before I could I could just log on to the internet and start doing stuff. Um and just hanging out with the people that did the things and asking the questions, but you can come at it a million different ways um, and you don't have to be technical. I know it's been said on, on this show before and it, it needs to be emphasized. If, if, if you are going into GRC, you don't necessarily need to be technical. Will it help? Sure. But you can read documents, right? You can run systems that, that, that 
take a framework and start pulling in all the evidence that's needed and you can interpret that and put it in reports and you can you can convey that to other people that's that's simple enough to do uh, you know i don't think there's been a person who's come to me who wanted to be an it or information security that i haven't been able to work with um, and that's been people who are bartenders um, people who are who are felons um, you know, people out of the military, just about anyone who, who asks and shows an interest can learn. And the only, the only ceiling that's going to be there really is the one that you put there for yourself. Um, you just have to keep asking. People will help. People are going to help you. Uh, and we want to help you. When you... But, but, but something, something, skills gap, something, something. <laughs> yeah, well, you know... These folks that say that they can't find the right skills. I don't know what you're looking for in your staff because I don't have issues finding people because they're out there. You, you just, there's, they're not unicorns. They call them unicorns because they don't exist. Or maybe once you get lucky and you, one company out of thousands in the U.S. finds the unicorn. But there's people that have the skills that can learn that you can bring in and build up and you don't have to wait forever. They're, they're out there. You know, I'm, I, I know it sounds like bragging, but I really, I just talk to people and I find people that, that look like they have an aptitude and they want to learn and they're good in talking with other people and they have a business sense and we bring them in we build them up and then we, we, we retain them because we want them to stay. I, I bet you've had the same arguments I've had with people because I didn't think, you know, um, I have the, the same feelings. Like, I, I mean, one of my conference talks, you know, for the longest time, I was using that story of a barista, right? Someone who's got no cybersecurity experience at all and, and how they can fit into that role. I, I talk a lot about a, a real life example of someone I hired, zero cybersecurity experience, had worked in retail prior to joining our team. And they're doing amazing things now in cybersecurity. But you get these people in our industry who tell people who want to be in the industry, well, you know, you got to, you know, cybersecurity is not an entry-level job or, you know, you, you've got to have some tech background or, you know, whatever, all these things. And I get into arguments with these people because they're speaking in theory. I'm speaking from actual evidence. Like right. I've done this in multiple jobs and so have you. Like you can, if you actually take the time and the effort and the money to invest in people, you can bring in people who've never worked a, a tech job in their life and make them very successful in cybersecurity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Help them be because they'll do it on their own. You don't make them. Absolutely. There's, there's no one in any job who just walked in one day and they knew how to do it. Everybody has been helped in their job. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, President Obama got a little bit of crap because he said, you didn't build that by yourself. And what he was saying was, it takes all of us for something to be successful. A business doesn't run with one person. A business runs with a whole bunch of people. How do those people get successful? Well, they get hired into the business and then we, we work with each other, right? To, to form and norm and, and decide how we want the business to run. And, and you are trained. 
every job you're going into, you are trained. So our expectation that people are going to come into information security and know everything or be, you know, beyond entry level when they start is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Or have that past experience with the exact laundry list of 25 tools that you use in your environment. Like one of, one of my favorite examples, and I am, I actually, I am going to name and shame. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to name and shame because they're not the only ones, right? They're definitely not the only ones, but the job description example that I've used a lot comes from Meyer, the store, the grocery store chain. And it's a three page long job description. And by three pages, I mean, you know, regular full screen, you know, what, 1920 by 1080 monitor. Okay. Three pages long. This job description goes on with bullet point after bullet point after bullet point after bullet point of all of the technologies they want you to be familiar with. And like I said, they're not the exception to the rule. They are the norm for what we see in, in job descriptions. And so back to your unicorn topic, which I love unicorns. Don't get, you know, <laughs> yes, unicorns are lovely. They're wonderful. My, my pink unicorn is here, but you know, you, you, we've got to get past that idea that these people are going to come in with the absolute dead on skill set and experience that we're looking for. And they're not going to need anything day one. Right. Yeah, I, and I know I, I hear the argument all the time. Well, we need the three-pager in order to screen candidates. That's absurd to me. But So you're using it as a tool to eliminate potential people. And then you say you can't find the right people because you're using that tool to eliminate people. I struggle, I strive to keep my job postings under a page because I really want it to be Here's the core of what I'm looking for, but I want to see who's out there. I want to talk to you. I want to have those conversations. And people have said, Jess, it, there's no way you, you were going through 100 resumes. Well, that's, you know, as a leader, that's my commitment. If I get 100 resumes in, I need to go through those 100 resumes because that's how I'm going to find the best fit, right? Or the skill set mm -hmm. that I think I'm looking for. I work with the recruiters. I work with HR and say, I have an inkling of what I think I need in a person for this role. And I can't just put that down in a few skill sets. And I don't want to detail exactly what the tools are that I'm using because that's you know, might as well be waving a red flag out there for the threat actors. Um, but it's really important for me to, to make that connection. I'm going to be working with these people more than 40 hours a week. I'm going to be a factor in their not only their work life, but their financial lives. And that has to be taken really seriously. And I do take that very seriously. So when a person dedicates themselves to the process and applying and trying to, to move up to that next position, I'm, I, I have to, in a leadership position, I have to dedicate myself to doing that as well. Yeah. And that, so what I, I love this, I don't know that I've ever actually focused on like the length of my job descriptions, but I know the one thing similar to what you described that's really important to me is not a lot of requirements, maybe some, you know, preferred skills or experience, but where I try to focus the bulk is that, that paragraphical stuff at the top, right? That actually says, this is what this role is going to do. Because what I want are people who will come in, read that and say, I think I can do that. 
Mm-hmm. Minute you start putting all these laundry list items in there, like you said, now you start excluding people. And I even I've had HR teams try to tell me that, well, I need that for EEOC purposes. Well, think of the irony of that for a minute. The EEOC is there to ensure that underrepresented people have a fair shot in the hiring process. And yet it's those exact bullet points that you say you need for that that are the things that have been proven in multiple studies to drive away candidates from underrepresented groups. Absolutely. So you, you, this doesn't even make sense to me when they say things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not, you're not going to grow the career field doing that. Um, you, you have to, you have to realize that everyone has a different lived experience and that opportunity that you're offering has to take that into account. It can't just be from, hey, it can't just be from Jess's viewpoint. It has to be from as as wide a viewpoint as we can get it to be. No, and I know it's always a touchy subject when we get into that discussion, right? Because, you know, by law, you cannot use race, gender, all of the other protected groups as a decision-making factor either way, right? But we do still need to be intentional about attracting talent from that pool of candidates and bringing them in and giving them equal chance to shine. And that's how we build diversity, which I don't care who you are. You can argue with me, throw it in the comments. I will take you on every day. If you want to tell me that cultural gender name, your, your category that that diversity isn't important and isn't a business value because I will embarrass you if you want to argue that with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Travel the world a little bit and you get that perspective of how you can look at things differently and, and how different people bring different strengths to the table. Well, on that note, I think we got to wrap things up. This went by really fast. It did. It was fun. Really fun. I had a blast. I'm so glad you were able to come on. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so glad people were able to join. Unfortunately, we had some problems with the links today, um, but this will be out there and recorded and we'll, you know, ITSP does a great job of resharing it. So I don't know how many people we had live. I'll find that out later. Um, so for those of you that did join in, I apologize if you were late getting the link. There was something wrong with some of the streams. I had to fix it during the intro. That was kind of uh, an interesting little a little visibility into what goes on behind the scenes of the show sometimes. But uh, definitely glad to have you all here, and I hope you enjoyed. We'll be back again. Um, I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll try to keep up with uh, what weeks we're, we're having shows, and it's, we've kind of fallen into almost an every other week thing. Um, but I believe next week, yeah, next week we will have another episode and I've got a guest already lined up and all that good stuff. So I've actually got a number of guests lined up for the future. So it's going to keep being good, but keep coming back. I can't say enough thanks to Jess for being here today. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alyssa. All right. And to all of you out there watching at home, as they say, or listening on your, your favorite podcast, this one, of course, will be available uh, a couple days on podcast the videos are available immediately check us out on ITSP magazine hope to continue to see you join in here 
So happy to have you. We'll see you next time right here on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.